forever. Dog. Welcome to Public Intellectual. I'm your host, Jessica Crispin. Rather than talk about a mattress, we're going to talk about Patreon, which is how this podcast keeps going through the support of its listeners. If you would like to become a supporter, please go to patreon.com slash public intellectual and you'll get access to bonus episodes, a blog, a tote bag, and the usual Patreon bribes. Go to patreon.com slash public intellectual. A couple years ago, I had the idea of revisiting literary words of 50 years ago. The idea being that what was rewarded in a particular era is not the art that lasts. And looking at who won the major literary awards of 50 years ago, the Pulitzer, the National Book Award, etc., you saw a lot of the same names and a lot of names that you would expect. John Updike, Saul Bellow, Norman Mailer, all of these East Coast white dudes. So what if we looked at the actual literature that was published in the time, in all of its variety, in all of its experimentation, and see what the committees overlooked? It was a lot, as you would expect, of writing by women and writers of color. So we've been doing this once a year. This is the long-delayed episode for 2018, which looks at the literature of 1967. Don't, don't try to find logic in it. I've long given up figuring that out. But this is the episode we should have done last year, and we would have done had my life not gotten very interesting last year. So Margaret Howey, who's been part of the project from the beginning, she comes to talk on behalf of the fiction committee I'm talking on behalf of the nonfiction committee to discuss what was interesting about literature 50 years ago or 51, 52 years ago, what got overlooked, what lasted, and what's embarrassing about what won all those years ago. So, Margaret Howey, um, thank you for joining our very special, um, super belated, barely hanging on to any sort of logical reason for doing this at all, uh, special Daphne's episode. <laughs> did having no reason to do it at all ever stop the Academy Awards? No, it did not. So, <laughs> I say, roll out the red carpet. Uh Christian Sharano has been very late in getting me my dress, though. So, you know. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Um, the red carpet experience is, as always, disappointing for the literary types. But here we are. We're persevering, yeah. and we're doing the episode that we would have done six months ago had my life not been entirely weird last year. So, uh, but that's just how the world works now. Yeah, and time is a linear. Time is a fraudulent concept as it, we all Anna know. Anna has taught us nothing <laughs> that near times important <laughs> concept. And also never travel to New Zealand for longer than a month because you know weird shit happens. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, um so let's talk let's talk about some books. 
We're talking about books published in 1967 in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, and the basic, well, basic short list that you and Austin Grossman came up with um, for the books that were worthy of discussion were primarily The Woman Destroyed by Simone de Beauvoir, mm-hmm. uh, The Joke by Kundera, and Ice by Anna Kavan. Is it Kavan? Oh, Kavan? don't ask me. I mean, <laughs> you, that's a made-up name. We were, you know, like there were some worries with how to pronounce names, but she made up Anna Kavan, so I think we can go any damn way we want. Okay. Um, the point is just to say it with authority and certainty and confidence, and then everyone assumes that that's the correct pronunciation anyway. Well, we're the literature police, and what we say goes. So, yeah, Anna Kavan. Yes. Excellent. Um, why, why three, these three books? Uh, these three books were, so just to contextualize fiction had a hell of a year in 1967. It was, there was a lot of books. A lot of books had barely got a look in that would in a typical year be, um, be very like stirring of the blood, but like, you know, the, all of the great brains trusts that went into the Daphne's shortlist creation. Those were the ones that we pretty much were all like, ooh, shit. You know, they, we kind of had to, so a couple that fell by, like, Master and Margarita came out that year. So we pretty much had to quickly decide that that one was, that book's fine. That book's, that book's overdoing its thing and doing a lot. You know, we're, we're not talking about, it's not really part of our conversation. It's kind of almost a book that's out of time anyway. Um, I also have to add that the Magic Toy Shop came out that year as well, and we also were like, she's doing great. Angela's yeah. fine. i got to add this because otherwise at least three of my close friendships will be destroyed. They may <laughs> be. So it was, a, it was a really strong year. Um, and, of, and, you know, when we – something like Ice by Kavan or – or The Woman Destroyed, or The Joke, we saw elements across all the books we read that, you know, try to do the similar things that they did, and these books just did them all better, which is mm-hmm. saying a lot because there's some other fucking, you know, rip-roaring titles on there. But these books, they just, they're the kind of books that just sort of, you know, haunt you walking around rooms. They they really did what they did better than anybody else, and given that a lot of other people were on their A game that year, that's saying a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. Fanny Bryan didn't even get a look in. I kind of feel bad about that. He'll probably come and haunt me in some sort of damp Irish way for the even saying <laughs> But there you go. You know, it's, I kind of feel Ice stands in for a lot of the kind of fable books that came in. And I usually hate fables. I think it's something that drunk authors do when they're lazy and need to churn a book out. But fuck, what are you for fables? You know, Carrington gave us the hearing trumpet. We mm-hmm. had with Flann O'Brien, the third policeman. Uh, all these, all these kind of incredible books. But then you have Ice, which is so completely bizarre. Even now, you know, even even fifty years later, it doesn't read like anything else, and yet it still reads very much like a creation of nine sixty seven. So, is that the joke pulls in? Like, I was thinking about there's a book by that we, one of the first books I read in this, uh, the Daphne's Odyssey, A Grain of Wheat by Gugi Wationgo. Um, and that's a really good book. There's mm. a book that spends a lot of time and effort being a good novel. 
it's thinking about form, it's thinking about structure, there's, you know, various narrative strands, the characters are well-rounded, they've all got backstory. And for the vast majority of books we've read, they did not give a single fuck about making novels that had any kind of cohesiveness. So poor Googie kind of was so busy being competent in lots of areas, they just didn't get a look in. And you've got the joke, which is probably closest out of these three books, to being something that's really structurally a novel. Like, it's it's a novel. It's sitting there very much like a novel, and yet it just decides to go so much further and play so many more interesting games. So that's that's kind of where we ended up. And, you know, there's De Beauvoir just... <laughs> <laughs> just, just with a flamethrower, as she tends to be, you know. The uh, there's out of everything we read, there were two books that were complete. Like, I mean, there's the, so I don't know if you end up even reading it, but I inflicted at least one co-judge on reading it. Kinzaburu always the silent cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you. Um, uh, yeah, I started that. I started it, and then I just. I just didn't. I just didn't want to. <laughs> yeah. So I think the Silent Cry and uh, the Woman Destroyed by Beauvoir are very interesting books to have in parallel because they're both about existential despair, and they're both about crawling into holes. I mean, the Silent Cry literally the character crawls into several holes, and you crawl in there with them, and you just keep crawling. Like at least the narrator has, tends to take down like a dog and a bottle of whiskey when he goes into a hole, which. <laughs> It's actually quite a party <laughs> in my book. But as a reader, Christ, that book just, you just, whew. <laughs> you know, I would, I would, every, after every chapter, I would sort of have to stop and regroup. Yeah, it's, it's an extraordinary piece. You know, they, they gave him, they didn't give him the Nobel Prize out of an accident. <laughs> they, I mean, they certainly at least partly gave him the Nobel Prize because he was being Japanese and inscrutable. And they're like, oh, Jesus, yes, Japanese inscrutable bit of that but it's not just that there is more than just Japanese inscrutability going on in it that said I kind of felt while well, the silent cries a book that just sort of throws itself headlong into bleakness and hellishness Du Beauvoir like faces that and then works to turn herself away you know yeah there isn't you know there isn't this kind of I'm just going to sit in a hole and just kind of wait for mildew to grow on my legs kind of feeling that mm-hmm. happens in the OA, which also I think I may have grown, like, I think more, I think mold spores actually start to grow in my lungs while reading that book. <laughs> I was so well, far as a Capricorn. It's, you know, I think that that's, that's, that explains a lot about that book is that she's a Capricorn. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> yeah. Christ on a bike. So Silent Cry. So yeah, The Woman Destroyed, it's actually, I'm going to fuck this up, La Femme Rompu. Which mm-hmm. is either the woman broken or the woman fractured, which is a much better title. And yeah. I might even just call it the woman fractured for the rest of the, you know, esteemed Daphne ceremony, because these women aren't destroyed. That's, I mean, if only they were destroyed, they kind of want to be destroyed. Yeah, they don't get destroyed. We, they're, they're just kind of broken up and splintered into little bits. Yeah. Yeah, we we talked about that book in the um, heterosexuality is a fucking nightmare um, episode. Mm. Um, that so I came to uh, the woman fractured. I like it. Um, yeah, a year before it was sort of eligible for the Daphne's, and uh, because Indiana Saracen recommended it to me, um, and I was stunned by it. I thought it was well in the way that. Um, 
in the previous year's Daphne's, which was two years ago, um, the a um, easy death, her memoir about her mother's dying um, was shocking. Um, I think in the same way as a woman fractured is like to, to be able to um, deal with these um, experiences with a total absence of sentimentality um, or pity is a remarkable experience. And especially reading them now where everything is sentimentality and self-pity um, is, uh, is very bracing. It's very, it's very surprising. Yeah, it's it's a book that manages not to be remotely nihilistic while being incredibly devoid of sentimentality and and you know holding its holding its characters absolutely in in truth which is yeah, you know, it's it's still there. It's still I gave my copy to someone, which was a huge mistake because it's not with me anymore and they almost certainly didn't read it. Let's face it, no one reads books that people give them. So and I keep, I keep, I actually miss it. I miss having it around. Not least because it was a really, I had a copy with a really foxy picture of a naked lady on the cover. So, but it's, it's great. And nihilism runs through a lot of the books of 1967, which I kind of get. Riots was the big thing we noticed. Everyone was rioting. And mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I don't blame them because now everyone's rioting. And, you know, it's a, when we're doing Daphne's, you know, 2068, as cyborgs, <laughs> we'll be talking, whatever art we talk about, there will be riots. Whatever's happening in art, there will be talking about riots. And I think we're, we're talking about riots, there'll be rape because there's always going to be a big dollop of rape and probably people lying and making things up. But, yeah, De Beauvoir, she never, she never lies. She never makes anything up. She's interested in fakes, but she's not one herself, which is what puts that book around and and that actually the Kundera is very much a book about being a fake or not being a fake which is one of the one of the absolute like you know the Kundera it's so the joke was his first novel and boy or boys the first novel because it's a book in which you've got someone going look how clever I am look how incredibly brilliant I am at this and Mm -hmm. I keep you know I I was, I mean, I'm a huge fan of the middle brow, so I was quite keen to read another Milan Kundera book. But I was, you know, and it, I was, I think, the only one on the panel who was interested. <laughs> yeah. He's unfortunately, what happened to Kundera is that, you know, he went to France, he stayed being handsome, he got trapped by being really tasteful. And it's there's few things that are deadening as being incredibly tasteful. But you forget and you pick up the joke, written in 1967, written as a book where this guy was like, I am getting the fuck out of where I am right now and I am going to show all of you bitches. That's what this book is. It's it's completely virtuosic and completely charming and very much the work of someone who understands all of the salesperson's tricks. I only associate Kundera with a 25-year-old men (laughs) only right i mean that's the sort of image that has sort of taken over the kundera myth which i think is unfortunate um because when uh i think it was austin who insisted that everyone take a look at this one and not it not just be tossed over immediately based on the fact that it was a kundera book 
Um, yeah, I was a little bit, I was, well, not just a little bit skeptical. I was rolling my eyes and, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, so, um, yeah, it's the, uh, plus, you know, Havel had some choice things to say about, uh, about Kundera, um, and his abandonment of central Europe. Um, but, but other than that, it's, it's, um, it's fine. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's a book like, of course you got the fuck out. Like the entire, everything in the book says, I'm going to get out. I am going to go to France and I am going to become a literary lion. I am going to fuck many beautiful women and I am going to dazzle many salons. And by God, and by Joe, if he did it, you know, yeah. that's, that's what this book is. It's the joke is on the narrator of this book, but it's not, the joke is not on the writer of this book, mm. which is, a, which is quite a trick to pull off. So that's yes. that, that's yeah. how it ended up, and you know, a lot of other people on our shortlist were trying to pull that very trick off. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, and they, they pretty much did all fine. Like, you know, I don't think anyone anyone didn't like Donald Bartholomew is doing great. I mean, dead, but he's he's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do we want to talk about Bartholomew? Like, you know, he so Donald Bartholomew released Snow White. Yeah. Which is both a commentary on and a rewriting of Disney's Snow White and does contain the absolutely impeccable line written by said by one of the dwarfs. Now we've been left sucking the mop again, which is exactly what uh, the dwarfs did say after Snow White bounced. <laughs> it, it's got a lot to it, you know. But it's a book that I finished reading and just kind of evaporated for me a bit. Right, I was. Yeah. Well, Bottom is also one of these writers that I associate exclusively with twenty-five-year-old men, um, and especially like I don't know, trying to work with fairy tales at the same time that Angela Carter is alive and breathing and writing just seems to me like why, why, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Why would anyone keep reading it? There's Angela Carter anyway. Um, or yeah. another long list member, uh, Samuel Delaney, did the Einstein intersection, which is playing with the, you know, playing with various fables and fairy tales. Like, you really you really have to work hard to push, you know, shoulder aside Samuel Delaney as well as, you know, uh, Angela, who's, who's there. Knocking, knocking out the magic toy shop as her second novel. Fucking hell. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, um, I think that that Delaney book is out of print. Am I, or I was having trouble sourcing it when we were putting together the short list, but the fact that I, I think that the Bartolome has not actually ever been out of print. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I found it far harder to get the Bartolome than the, um, Delaney, but that could be because I'm in Europe and Brexit's already hitting the book supply line. (laughs) You see what they're asking me for comic books in the local Forbidden Planet, I tell you. It's... <laughs> the untold Brexit story. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm the real victim here. <laughs> me and the estate of Samuel Delaney. Actually, he's not dead, is he? He's around. No, he's around. He's around. He's probably having tea with Milan Kundura right now, both of whom ignored her invites to the ceremony. Uh, that's all right. You know, I guess I guess when you're old and bitter, that's how it goes. <laughs> I'm just sorry Flan O'Brien and ignored her invite as well, because that would have been fun. Yeah, that would have been a good time. Yeah. 
so I think we've knocked off basically everyone who wasn't uh, Anna Kavan, Simone de Beauvoir, and Milan Kundera. They they were good, and those are all books that you know you're not going to hurt yourself to pick up. But yeah, those are the three that ultimately ended up being the you know the final the final three. Yeah, I want to talk about the Anna Kavan. She's mm. having kind of a moment. Um, I think sort of sparked a lot by Kate Zambrino. Um, at least that's where it seems like a lot of that is coming from. Um, which I have tried in the past to read her and found it very difficult. Uh, I think mostly because of her association or the uh, resurgence of uh, the fetishizing of the fragile uh, girl character girl woman character um and i have as i'm reading like the endless outpouring of sylvia plath fangirls right now <laughs> that her letters have been uh reissued they came out my the patience is thin. i'm mad they, we sort of beaten them back down for like a good 10 years of silence and now whew. it's just it's it's remarkable i mean that's a whole episode in and of itself but um the um so we one of her books had been under consideration before for the for the Daphne's and I was pretty against uh it continuing on in the process um and making it to the short list. But Ice I, I is different and remarkable. Um it is such a weird book. Yeah. <clears throat> it's it's a weird book. It's a short book. If it was twice as long, it would be insufferable. It's just the right length. It given that there's yeah, you know, I mean, she was at the point where she'd not care about those things like like narrative and form and things whatsoever. She, and yet it's, you know, I think, I mean, the big fear with Anna Gavan is that, of course, that people are more interested in the fact that she was all tragic and shit and not the fact that she wrote a bunch of books. But yeah. this is an, it's one of, it's her last work. I think it was her last, if I um, vaguely remember a Wikipedia entry correctly, last significant work, certainly. Mm-hmm. Which makes it much more interesting than if it was her one of her first works. And it's got everything that we saw ticked off in the 1967 literature roundup, in which there are riots, there is loads of, you know, social upheaval, there's a decent amount of rape, mostly fairly tastefully done. Uh, there's also a silent woman. Well, there's one particular silent woman, and then the lead, char- lead character's pursuing a silent woman. But, yeah it's really committed to the sort of deranged vision of itself, which is admirable. I like, and there's also the like beginning of environmental collapse in you know, like that, that influence. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely, it definitely is very much, um, you know, there's certain sci-fi aspects of it, which felt very familiar. Then you realize you've wanted it after her, Mm -hmm. which is, yeah, that, Oh, there's, there's something much bigger going on and we are all very fucked here on that little tiny insignificant planet but maybe we can get some rapes in before that happens i mean i think that's just like that's the inevitable um but yeah my so my edition came with the jonathan lethem introduction um which made me wish that he had been influenced by and i mean he says you know she's a huge influence but just made me wish that she was that she somehow ended up in his writing even a little bit um, I, I find him, um, an incredibly frustrating writer. Um, yeah, that's, that's 
Yeah. Mine came with the Christopher Priest introduction that I think I bothered reading. Oh, you know? I'm so sorry. Sorry. As I, was, as I was reading, I, I kept thinking this is, I can see Christopher Priest, how he came out of that. Right. Like he, he sort of talked about um, her and um, there was another woman writer who was a huge influence on him. And now I'm sort of blanking on it. Um, Let's say but, Angel uh, Carter, because why not? Oh, Joanna Russ. That is oh, who jo- oh, Joanna. Thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, he is. He, Christopher Priest is one of my favorite living writers, I have to say. I'm sorry if that's. No, no, it's all right. You forget, <laughs> we're the literature police. We're the one who tells everybody else that they're wrong. That's how it works. It's interesting. You uh, know, I read, the, I read The Female Man about a month after reading uh, Ice because I'd never got around to it and I thought I'd better. And they actually have a lot in common. Um, pretty sure Female Man's about 76 or so. But there are, whereas Ice is, you know, both are very much a product of its time and very much a book that feels astonishingly weird and fresh uh the female man is a book that is very much a product of its time and there are aspects that feel very fresh but there are also aspects of it that have aged like milk but you know yeah there's a lot of um i'm i am writing second wave feminist science fiction going on in that yeah yeah um, yeah which she was admittedly and yeah pretty much anybody else was but it's it's very much of a yeah. time kavan was unhit unmoored from i mean I suspect she probably pride herself on being unmoored from any kind of, you know, concurrent literary uh, outputs, which, which helped the book, uh, ultimately. It probably makes life easier for people to say that they're a big influence of her because of that reason. You know, I might go around telling you, but I'm influenced by Anna Kavan. I mean, maybe I am. <laughs> we all are. We all are. Thanks, Anna. Yeah. Um. It is interesting to have um, her sort of uh, version of femininity up against um, Simone de Beauvoir's version of femininity. Um, just maybe in my head, but no, to no, me, no. reading those sort of like back to back was was an experience. I think because now we're you know in 2019 there is sort of one version of femininity um that's allowed um and that's incredibly frustrating yeah all of my all of the sort of female characters in everything that i'm reading that came out like this you know last past year or two everyone is just so trying their best and you know, just dealing with things and, and searching for healing. And that's, that's, that's what's happening. In that's, that's what we're, yeah. Searching for healing. There's, yeah, there's a blessed lack of um, realism going on in 967 for a start, but also, yeah, Annika Van's women are very clearly either, you know, passive or dead, which mm-hmm. is great. And Simone de Beauvoir's women are like humans, which is something else. I mean, they get to age and like, do things and they're all different, which is, whew, <laughs> don't quite know what's going on there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as we were talking about in the heterosexuality is a fucking nightmare episode, 
if, had the Simone de Beauvoir book been written today, there would be the impulse to to give her a lover or to like have her fall in that to have some sort of wish fulfillment ending, um, well, which is very much part of our ashram, culture. Would she? I mean, she'd go to an ashram and do a lot of yoga, like mm-hmm. you know, and practice practice you know active forgiveness or some shit. <laughs> healing it's all about healing it's all about healing yeah exactly you know like right that's it detoxify that that's what will be out um yeah so you know there'd be yeah there's there's a distinct lack of empowerment banners (laughs) to profile (laughs) (laughs) yours are great can i there's so this is the bit uh this is the bit in which i am going to oh shit where i put the quote Oh yeah, so um, here is a little a little snippet. I can't remember who the um, the translator is of this, but this is from the middle section of the woman fractured. Mm-hmm. Oh God, let it be true that you exist. Let there be a heaven and a hell. I'll stroll through, stroll along the walks of paradise with my little boy and my beloved daughter, and they will all be writhing in the flames of envy. I'll watch them roasting and howling. I'll laugh, I'll laugh, and the children will laugh with me. You owe me this revenge, God. I insist that you grant it to me. Right, so... Yeah. Jesse, you and I are both obsessed with con women and, <laughs> and getting revenge on society for what, yeah. owed, for what has owed us, and there's a distinct lack of healing going on in that passage. Thank fucking God. Thank fucking God. Thank God who knows knows who what he owes us. Uh, <laughs> which is watching our enemies rotate in agony. Yeah. Yeah. That's healing. Stick that yeah. on first. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, yeah, this is sort of like, you know, we've been doing this for a couple of years, so we're beginning to see um, development and how things are sort of responding to uh, changes in society as well. Um, and, you know, the nonfiction we, the selection, it was really, I mean, there was not that much, which is interesting because you, we think of sort of the late 60s as being this time of upheaval, revolution and change. But of course, it's easier, I think, to pick up on those things within fiction because half of it's conscious half of it's unconscious i think than to explain it in a non-fiction way so it's kind of the most startling amazing book um well there were two uh one was the well one was malcolm x but there's um um uncertainty well whatever it doesn't those things because we make up our rules as they go along but uh, there are different publication dates for for that specific book, so it's eligibility. Whatever, who gives a shit? Um, so, but it was that and uh, Scum Manifesto uh, by Valerie Solanas. So these two kind of um, manifesto books, which are kind of trying to um, dictate what happens um, with this energy versus anybody's inability to actually explain it. Um, so that was kind of interesting to even look to try to find um interesting nonfiction books and it was just like still a lot of biographies of poets of romantic poets <laughs> it was a lovely there was a lovely like shelley biography i think it was <laughs> or, or was it keats, yes, keats. Fuck cares. Yeah. yeah anyway 
Um, yeah. And, and so that was the interesting thing was I was, I was really looking forward to the nonfiction in 1967. And then there was like, what the fuck is any of this? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, as someone who's personally very tired of people explaining things, uh, it's, you know, if those are the only two books we get, those, those are great. Like, let's really stop. Please stop explaining things. None of the, none of the books in the fiction tried to explain anything to me. Thank God. So yeah. 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 Great. Malcolm X and Valerie Solanus, wherever you are. They also declined our invites to the ceremony, but, uh, <laughs> which is a great pity because they would both be a lot of fun to have around. Uh, yeah. So, man, um, Shelly, maybe not Keats. I mean, yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Um, I was surprised at how funny the Scum Manifesto was this time reading it. Mm. Um, I hadn't read it in full since I was 23 or something like that. Yeah. Um, and didn't find it funny. Um, I think because of, um, I was in this beginning of disillusionment with the feminist movement phase where I saw, um, uh, um, the primary form of praxis amongst my, uh, women's group friends being, let's just make jokes about men and how dumb they are. Um, and then let's not do anything else or we can knit, I guess. Um, so yeah, so that was, um, I was sort of reading it and having my first moments of what the fuck is happening. Um, and now reading it, I think it's very funny. I think it's a very funny book that's taken, you know, when men get upset about Solanus and Dworkin, I think they're both hilarious writers and, Nobody seems to understand that Dworkin was very funny. She's a very funny writer. She's she's anyway. a great writer. She's yeah. a hilarious writer. And it's one of the many reasons that people can never quite bury Dworkin, despite them trying to. You just can't. Like, she's just too too alive on the page mm-hmm. and way too funny for any of the um the dull fucks trying to, you know, shuffle her off into the footnotes. Just, yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, I've not read Solanus again since I was, you know, 26 or something so um when i probably had two brain cells left so that's that's cool that that's there did you read the brianna Fawes biography of solanus no tell me why i should read it i mean sounds good um it's really good she had an actual interesting life for a writer which most of them didn't so yeah she did have an interesting life um i don't know to me it's like um uh, um well, it contextualizes the Scum Manifesto somewhat in that um, that wasn't the, even the title she wanted. That was her publisher's title, and she thought that it was going to uh, be used to dismiss her book eternally and not have it taken seriously, which, hurrah, she was right. Yeah. <laughs> That's what happened. Yeah, um, yeah so um, it was interesting, like, what we do with our difficult women, right? I mean – like Firestone, um, Solanus died and it took a while for people to find her body, right? Like uh, she'd been so isolated and so um, marginalized from the wider feminist movement. Um, and with Solanus, it was much more about her mental illness. Um, but basically some of our greatest thinkers um, of the feminist movement, the feminists let them die in obscurity and poverty, which oh, yeah. Um, yeah, in, in Dworkin to some, in some case her as well. Um, 
like these people just became embarrassing. And so we just abandoned them. And then they lived lonely, uh, difficult ends of lives. And that to me was um, one of the primary things I took apart from the fact that she was just a very funny, smart person. Mm. That's that's also exactly what happens to all the all the women and the woman fractured. You know, mm-hmm. they're all women who come become too embarrassing. You know, in different ways for the world they're in, and then just get increasingly alone because of it. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, so I look for the the cyborg versions of us in twenty sixty eight before <laughs> we escape fate. I think I'm going to escape this fate by not being brilliant enough. So that's that's what I'm working on. But yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's what happens, you know, it's um, the ones who go out and get get all the, um, you know, got all the shit and we're all brilliant and then just, you know, got succumbed into the fact that once the movement begins to coalesce into something that's a power base, then, you know, you need to, it needs to look a certain way and be a certain way. And it's, you know, it's not yet, Solanus was definitely not cool enough for them. <laughs> Um, I did want to talk about the book that did win everything fiction wise with nonfiction. It was just a fucking romantic poet romantic uh, biography. Yeah. Um, but the winner of the fiction prizes was uh, William Styron's The Confessions of Nat Turner. <laughs> Please. Yeah, listen to that I know. <laughs> Kids reading, you know what? Say what you will about twenty-five-year-old men, and I will. They aren't reading William Styron anymore. So um, that going for them. Thank you, twenty-five-year-old men, for abandoning him. Cheers. Yes. Um, nice. But fuck me, like uh, Styron manages in, within a short period of time to co-opt for his shitty, shitty purposes both the Holocaust. And American slavery. I would just like <laughs> the poofer, right? Like it's, it's remarkable. It's remarkable. He should get some sort of award just for that. Of and just he did. yes. Oh yeah, he got the Pulitzer. But <laughs> oh. yeah, people still defend that book. I, I still, I when I was doing sort of my research on it I found in defense of the confessions of Nat Turner is like well at least a white man was writing about the same writing about slavery as like yeah by turning like a black man to an animal of violence and sexuality like yeah that's 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 great We're, I'm glad we we did that yeah Good he job, was everybody. brave he was so brave so brave <laughs> well, no, black people so brave. a lot in slavery and you can relive that suffering deliciously <laughs> <laughs> by reading my book <laughs> and giving me the Pulitzer. Give, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, at least at least it was a book. What we've got now, Green Book. Thank you, thank you, Viggo Mortensen, <laughs> <laughs> for carrying us through. Oh no! Look, I know. I, I like Viggo too. Like, I don't. I'm not, yeah. I mean, yeah. He's, he get that. Yeah, yeah, no, William, William Styron. It was, I mean, this it was one of the first of the Pulitzer winners in the Daphne's um, glorious reign so far that I had actually heard of, which I think goes to show that it was a hell of a year for fiction. Yeah. 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 
And I think the year before that, it was a book that was almost entirely plagiarized. So um, at least, at least, I guess that's, a, oh, no, probably that's not an improvement. But you know, <laughs> the fact that we still give a shit about who wins a Pulitzer is funny to me. Yeah, no, no, it's it's great. It's um, it is it's interesting. I'm pretty sure was it a couple of years back that the one the book that won all the history awards was like, um, wasn't it David Irving? Just before he became a Holocaust denier, I think so. Yeah, there we yeah. go. Well, let's let's hope we're not going to do that with the Daphne's. Right. And surprise, surprise, you know, it turns out that even before he was a Holocaust denier, he was um, fudging facts. <gasps> um, about Germany's involvement in World War II. You don't say. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I find I find this the pursuit of all of this very interesting. But um, but yeah. Well, that's cool. I mean, I'm going to work out which book I'm going to plagiarize to win my Pulitzer. I'm thinking, I'm thinking maybe Leona Carrington's The Hearing Hearing Trumpet. <laughs> It's short, and I'm sure I can swap out the hearing trumpet for an iPhone or something. It will be, will be in. And I say it's a fable of modern relationships with technology. In the end, everyone will be healed, particularly with a woman. Uh, it should be pointed out that Leonor, uh, Leonora Carrington um, wrote a badass book about a bunch of old women being punks, which is great. Mm -hmm. It's almost what uh, Simone de Beauvoir did as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there was this magic. Yeah, I love that Carrington book. Yeah. Um, and she's having, well, whatever. This is a digression. I'm willing to have it with you anyway. Um, this trend of very sort of um, mediocre bourgeois women um, writing about these avant-garde uh, artists and writers as if they are they identify with them. <laughs> very strange to me. Yeah. Um, like the Olivia Lang book where she and Kathy Acker's biographies are fused into one character to same Kathy. That's alarming to me. Um, there's several like Leonardo, Leonora Carrington novelizations of her life happening but no authoritative like biography of her life which i find very interesting well, um novels are much more commercially palatable and then can be easily sold on for a um netflix deal or something yeah i guess there yeah it's i mean you know i can't get onto the tube right now without being jostled by a frida Kahlo tote bag so it's, <laughs> it's uh you know, Leonora is going to be tote bag material in 2025. We can absolutely, yeah. Out. Valerie Solanus won't be though, which no, and still no. Really do with this podcast, um, ferment enough revolution, uh, or start selling them ourselves, one or the other, because you know the Dworkins and the Solanuses, like they don't get their tote bag moments, um, but they weren't as photogenic as Leonora Carrington, alas. But not even de Beauvoir. Like, I don't see girls with the oh. Beauvoir braids, which I would like to see come back. That would be cool. I did see an ASMR video done in the style of de Beauvoir. Really? Yes. I'll send it to you. It's something yes, we can put in show notes. It is, it's <laughs> that you can, you too can fade off to sleep with the restful voice of Simone de Beauvoir calling for revolution. Oh um, my God. Yeah. Yeah, I, I will listen to that. 
Yep. <laughs> um, any any final thoughts on 1967? Now that we're finally putting it to bed. Um. Yeah. Big on riots. Um. Big on show offs. But I, I tend to like show offs, so that's all good. Mm. If Melancondura had died spectacularly a few books in, um, he'd be worse off, but like his reputation wouldn't be. So yeah. there you go. Uh, but yeah, that's that's mostly it. I think that the you know we were talking about this a bit uh, a bit off off mic, but mm-hmm. fiction was much more interesting than nonfiction. Whereas right now, nonfiction is much more interesting than fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm sure there's great fiction happening somewhere. It's just you know it's probably on SoundCloud or on a Twitch stream or something. <laughs> We just can't get to it. Yeah, it's, it's certainly not being. It's certainly not you know being put in tote bags right now. It's not, no, no, it, no, it's, it's grim. No, it is. It's a bit grim out there. So please, writers, you know we need something to talk about in twenty sixty eight. Step it up. Stop healing and stop explaining. Yes, yes. that's that's good. Yeah, there we okay. go. As as the literature police, <laughs> have we you announced have the winners? You should you should announce the the winners properly oh okay so the winner of the daphne for nonfiction is a scam manifesto by valerie Blanc. um and we're really sorry we're really really sorry you are you yeah you got done wrong yeah yeah Yeah. very deeply done wrong um and the winner of the fiction daphne award is uh ice by anna kavan cool um over you know but barely over Simone de Beauvoir. But also, like, we couldn't have two years in a row of Simone de Beauvoir winning Daphne, I felt. Like, that's that's just that's just being greedy. Yeah. So there we go. Anna Kavan. Um, I don't know if you got done wrong, but sorry anyway. And please enjoy this award and the attendant reception. Um, hopefully you won't end up writing a self-pitying essay to The Guardian about how this award ruined your life, which I'm pretty sure is what, like, Penelope Fitzgerald did about winning the Booker, which frankly stuck sticks in my craw. Uh, so, you know, but I've got my faith. I have my faith that Anna's going to do us do a better than that. She was also fairly photogenic, if I remember correctly. So I will get start screen printing stuff immediately. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be big. Um, gonna, and thanks to us, hello money right now. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm going to write okay. Down- version of her of her life and <laughs> starring it'll be starring Scarlett Johansson look it's gonna be great guys it's gonna be great forever dog this has been a forever dog production executive produced by Brett Boehm Joe Cilio and Alex Ramsey for more original podcasts please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com And subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.